Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the friars. So the woman at the well, Jesus goes into Samaria. So I'm just gonna bring out some aspects of this text that, that mean a lot. Samaria, dun dun dun, Samaria. Jesus goes down into the, this is the, this is the land of the half-breeds. Kind of a shocking word, right? Oh my gosh, half-breed, we don't use that word, right? Well, that's how the Jews saw the Samaritans. These were defunct, these were bad people, they're half Jewish, half Assyrian, half something else. They're racially impure. Samaritans didn't think so highly of the Jews either. Oh, they think they're better than everybody else down there in Jerusalem. So this is the, the enemy, the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. Now this wasn't just any enemy, right? So there's enemies and then there's enemies, right? And the real, the ones that really get your, get, get, the, get, your, get your dander up are the enemies from your family. This is a family feud. There was 10 tribes in northern Israel, which is Samaria, and they were conquered by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians brought in different cultures of people. They were an empire, and they imposed their gods upon those Jewish people. And they took on the worship, the pagan worship of the Assyrians. And so they could, their, the Jews saw their religion as corrupted, and it was corrupted. They took on a lot of the pagan practices. So they had this mixed religion. They were kind of, and they intermarried with the Assyrians. So they were these kind of impure from the Jewish perspective, these dirty people. But they used to be our brothers. So the Jews, you know, the Jews didn't like the Egyptians and the Assyrians too much, but you know, they weren't related. But these are our, these are the relations. This is Hatfield and McCoy stuff, right? This is a family feud. This is that side of the family that we don't talk to anymore. Well, why don't we talk to them? Those are my cousins. I heard I have cousins in New Mexico. No, no. We don't talk about them anymore, right? And, that's, and then that's when you know, oh boy, I hit a button. I hit a button, right? So Jesus is a Jew. He's a rabbi. He's a man of good reputation. At this point, everybody's cool with Jesus. He hasn't gotten into trouble yet. He hasn't healed the man born blind. He didn't raise Lazarus. That's why they killed him. But at this point, he's a Galilean preacher. You know, I mean, the guys in Galilee, they're kind of like the hicks of the Jewish world. But he's still, you know, he's all right. You know, son of a carpenter, a little suspicious, but, you know, maybe a whippersnapper, but, you know, just kind of a nice guy. He's all right. But he goes into Samaria, which would make him ritually unclean. The Jews hated the Samaritans so much, and it was even dangerous for them to go there. They would not, if they were from the north, from Galilee, where Jesus was from, and they had to go down to Jerusalem, which they did in general three times a year for the Jewish feasts. They would do pilgrimage down. And they would go all the way around Samaria, two and a half days, just so they wouldn't go on that land. They hated the Samaritans so much. But what does Jesus do? He goes right in. 
That's our Jesus. He goes right into Samaria. He's not going to be limited by that false prejudice, by that racism, by that, that boundary, that, that illusion that somehow they're not human because they didn't worship the right way. Jesus goes right into Samaria, right into Samaria. He goes right into the darkness. That's who our Lord is. He's free. He's not limited. He doesn't even pay attention to a lot of the concerns and the boundaries and the, the difficulties that we have with this person or that. He's just love. And love goes into the darkness. Love goes for the person. Jesus loves the Samaritans. And he's going to show his divine love to the Jewish people by loving the Samaritans. And he goes right into the darkness. And that's really the story of our God. That's the story of the incarnation. That's the story of Jesus. That the Logos, the word becomes flesh in the darkness of our world. He comes to us. And that's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Is It's not about us searching God. That's kind of boring. Our story, well, I was searching for God. and Okay, we've heard that, right? The real story is how God sought us. Now that's a movie. That's a great story. That's the drama. That's the, why is that? That's a surprise, right? That God isn't, it's not that our God is not the one that we sought out and we found, but our God is the one who came to us and found us. Our God comes to us. You know, there's an ancient Greek god, Prometheus. He's a titan god. And what he did is he took fire, this is of course a myth, took fire from heaven and gave it to the humans. And then the, the Olympic gods, Zeus, got really angry. Why did you give humans power like fire? They shouldn't have fire, right? So they took Prometheus and punished him, chained him up, put him on a rock, and then an eagle ate his liver every day, and then it was renewed, and then the eagle would eat the liver. Really bad punishment. That's not our God. Our God is not Zeus who holds back the fire from us, wants to keep things from us. He's the one searching us out. He's the one coming down to us. He's the one that's, that's, that, that wants our hearts. He actually wants something from us, right? He's seeking us out more than we're even seeking him. That's our God. And, it, and it's, it's hard to get that in sometimes, but this story shows that Jesus goes into Samaria. Jesus comes to Sholo. Jesus came to, to your house, wherever that is, whatever, whatever your address is. He comes to that and he's knocking on your door. Why? Because he wants to talk to you. Me? Yes, you. He's not holding anything back. Like the father and the prodigal son says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And that's what God says to us. Everything I have is yours. Now, a well in the Old Testament is a place you go find a wife. <laughs> so this is, the, this is where Isaac found Rebecca. 
This is where Jacob found Rachel, and that was a love marriage. You know, there were not a lot of love marriages in the old days. They're kind of like arranged marriages, but that one was a love marriage. And this one's a love marriage with Jesus and us, right? So Jacob's well is a love marriage. It's, it's one from the heart, right? He fell in love with Rachel, and he worked, she, he worked Laban's sheep for like seven years just to marry Rachel. He loved her. Moses found his wife at the well. So in the Old Testament, the, if you wanted a wife and you were a man, you went to the well. So this is like the Old Testament equivalent to Match.com. E-harmony, right? That personality test. So you're coming to the well for a wife or water, right? Jesus is looking for a wife here. And he's sitting on top of the well, which is very interesting. It's, uh, um, he, it's unusual, right? You don't sit on top of a well, you might fall in. But Jesus is epi is the Greek. It's kind of odd. Sometimes the translations don't, they're kind of embarrassed by saying he's on top of the well, but he was on top of the well. It doesn't mean anything else, which means Jesus is the well. He's the one that gives the water of the Holy Spirit to people who but he gives eternal life. He is the temple, right? He is the place where we meet the presence of God on earth. The, 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 the river of the water, the, the waters of the river of God flows from the temple in Ezekiel. And Jesus is that new temple. So it's a symbol there. But he comes looking for a wife. He's the bridegroom. And he comes to the well. And why? Because that's where women came to get water, to drink. Right? The women's duty. There's division of labor among the sexes. I think we still have that, unless that's been expunged recently. But we still have a division of labor. It just works fine when you divide things up, right? And the women went and got the water in the ancient world. And that was a celebration time. That was their time away from the family. They could go and talk and gossip and talk about things, right? The women went in the morning and the evening. It's a little break time. You go and get the water, right? Catch up on what's going on in the other. And that's what the women did. That was their time, their place, right? So Jesus goes there. And um, the Samaritan woman comes to draw water. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Dun, dun, dun. Here comes the bride. Maybe we're not allowed to do that song in weddings anymore. But anyway, because that's. But here she comes, the Samaritan woman. And it says here, it was about noon. And she's by herself. So right there, that's like, mm -mm, something wrong. What kind of woman goes and gets the water at noon? All the other women get it in the morning or the evening. And they come together and they talk and they're happy and they're laughing and they're talking, they're socializing, they're celebrating, they're gossiping. Right? This woman's alone. So right there, it makes us think, okay, something up, something up. It's about noon, right? And the Samaritan woman says, this kind of suspect woman, you know, and he says, give me a drink. Right? So it's shocking to her that this Jewish man would talk to her, and men didn't talk to women, right? Unless they were from your family, you definitely didn't talk to another woman, and definitely not a Samaritan. What's this Jew doing here in Samaria? We hate each other. So she's, she, her guard is all the way up. Red lights, this guy is fishy. This is a guy that's, you know, 
It says, I, I ran out of gas. You got some gas money? <laughs> You're like, no, okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, right. This is, she's kind of, all her, her, all her uh, defense mechanisms go up. And she says, hey, why would you ask a Samaritan woman for a drink? For Jews, there's nothing in common with Samaritans. They don't have communion with Samaritans. And then he says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what's he doing here asking her for a drink? What's the law of the gift? John Paul II talks about that, that it's counterintuitive for us. And so much in life is counterintuitive. Almost everything with Jesus is counterintuitive. God comes to us. We don't go to him. That when we give, we don't actually lose anything when we give to God. That we actually receive more. And so Jesus here, asking her for a drink, wants her to enter into the law of the gift. He wants her to enter into giving him, giving God, a little something. Just a seed. Just a drink of water. Right? Just a little... Just a little corn cake like Elijah with the, with, the, with the widow. Just give me a little bit. Just open up your heart just a touch, and you'll receive the living water. Why is that? Because, you know, and, and you receive way more than you'll ever get. Because God is generous. But God is a gentleman. He will not go where he is not invited. And that's hard for us sometimes. Lord, why weren't you there? I was so young. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Where were you? Why didn't you just come and be there? Why didn't you just intervene? Why do I have to ask you every time? Sometimes that's what we think. But God will not come where he is not invited. You have to give him permission. And so the water that he's asking the Samaritan woman for is her faith. Trust me. Trust me. Just give me a little bit of your trust. All those the defenses that went up, when I asked you for a drink, I just need you to just crack it open a little bit. Just open the door a little, and I'll rush in. You'll get the living water. You'll get everything you ask for, but you need to just give me that drink. You need to just give me that faith, that trust, and how hard that is to give, especially this woman. She's going there at noon for a reason, and we find out why later. This woman's been hurt, hurt very, very bad. And when you're hurt, you don't trust. Anybody. A lot of times for good reason. The problem is, is that we start to direct that towards God. Start to see God as an alcoholic, a mean guy, flying off the handle anytime. He might, he might yell at me. I don't trust him. But he says, give me a drink and I will give you living water. You'll never have to come back here again. So that appeals to her, and she's open. And she says, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? 
And he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman says to him, she's starting to open up. She's starting to trust. She's starting to give Jesus a drink. Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty to have to keep coming here to draw water. So she's a little vulnerable there. She shows that to Jesus, I don't really want to come here anymore. I'm tired of coming to the well by myself. I have to keep coming back. This water, it just slakes my thirst for a time, but I just have to keep coming back and I keep coming back and I have to keep doing it over and over and over again. In many ways, it symbolizes our sin. We just keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? Coming back to the well, thinking finally this time, the drink I'm going to get this time, it's going to satisfy me. I'm going to be done. This is the last time. Have to keep coming back. It's kind of like addiction as a model of sin that, you know, with addiction, it's kind of, I'm going to get another high and I'm just going to be perfect and I'm in control. And I, but you just keep coming back, coming back and coming back cycles, habits of sin, going back, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. They call that insanity, right? In the AA world and the going back to the well that, that just keeps you thirsty. Sin will all never satisfy you. It will never fill the hole in your heart that only God can fill. You always come back for more. You'll always be thirsty. And it'll just get worse and worse and worse. And so when we fall into habits of sin, whatever that is, then we're left unsatisfied. And we see what her bad habit is. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. Kind of like wink, wink. So Jesus is a little snarky here. <laughs> so if anybody's snarky out there, likes to make smart comments, well, this is, this is your Jesus. The woman answered and said to him, I don't have a husband. Defenses are up. Jesus answered, you are right in saying you do not have a husband. The last five guys, they were your husbands, and the one you're with now, not your husband. So she has a, a love problem. Love addiction. She keeps, well, the first husband didn't work. I'll try another one. Number two didn't work. Number three. But I got number four in the back in case number three doesn't. Okay, with number four. Now number five. And now, you know what? Number six, I don't think we'll get married. We'll just, like, we'll just go day by day. (laughs) Right? In the ancient world, she would be considered a harlot. She's the town prostitute. She keeps going back to the same well, a different guy, every year or six months or so. Coming back, not good enough. Coming back, not good enough. And there's sin there on her part, but you can imagine in the ancient world, a woman like this, probably was deeply hurt. She wasn't in control. Abused. 
disappointed, didn't find what she was looking for, rejected, cast out, who knows? We don't know the details, but you can imagine all the bad stuff that's out there now happened with her. She's lost. And she has deep shame. And she's been cast out by all the other women in the community, not allowed to get water with all the other women. No one will talk to her. She's abused, cast out, hurt, shamed, deep shame. And that shame is on her. She feels that. But what does Jesus do? Does he not bring that up? Not bring up her irregular marriage situation? Not bring up her love addiction? Not bring up the abuse that she's experienced from these men? and the ways she's acted out that she's ashamed of, not bring up that why you do what are you doing here at noon, not bring up that she's been cast out by the rest of the town, that she's the laughing stock, she's the outcast, she's the one that they don't talk to. No. Jesus goes right into the darkness. Jesus goes into Samaria. Jesus talks to the woman. Jesus goes right into her wound. Because he knows that this is the block. This is the thing. This shame is the thing that's in the way of her saying yes to me, of her seeing Jesus' love, of her accepting his proposal for marriage, to be unified with him, to be loved by him, that that's in the way of her receiving his love. And that's all he wants to give. That's the drink that he wants. He wants her divine love. He wants her love for him, and he wants her to receive his love. He wants to take her away from that cycle of, of, of abuse and love addiction and hurt and shame that she's co completely entangled in. He wants to set her free. And in order to do that, he has to bring it up. And if you think of, of families, secrets control families. The thing that you never talk about is the thing that controls everything in the family. The unspoken thing, the elephant in the room that no one talks about is the thing that controls everything. And Jesus points out the elephant. You've had five husbands. The one you're with is not your husband. Let's talk about that. I'm okay with that. He doesn't do it with shame. See, she can see in his eyes that he's not bringing this up to hurt her or shame her. It's a little different than, you know, uh, what Mildred said at the, you know, at the, at, the, at, the, at the well before. She can see in his eyes that he's, he loves her. You know, and that's the virtue. I was looking at the Retablo, uh, beautiful Stations of the Cross you have here. That's the essence of retabo art, is the eyes. And they're a little freaky, right? They're kind of like when you first look at, ooh, right? It's too much, right? You almost can't handle it, right? They're like, those are weird eyes, all big and kind of blue and kind of shining, right? But that's the love 
inviting you in. They're reflecting, the artists are reflecting the love that Jesus has for you, the eyes, that gaze of Jesus, his love upon you. And sometimes it's a little uncomfortable, right? I don't want to know if I can trust this. My God coming to me, I can't know if I can. We're like little children. We don't want to trust. We've been hurt. This woman has been deeply hurt and abused and has trauma and triggers. But Jesus' love just pierces through all of that. He brings up the husbands. He brings up the shame, and he takes it away. He heals it with his love, with that beautiful gaze from his eyes, and she sees it. And he goes right into her darkness and says, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of your shame. I'm not afraid of your pain. I'm not afraid of your sin. I'm not afraid of your darkness. I'm not afraid of your secrets. They're really not secret. And I'm okay with that because I can heal that. I can forgive that. I can take it away. I forgive it and I forget it. And it's gone and you have new life. And in that moment, he heals her of the shame. She's not ashamed anymore. And she sees, she did, then she moves into this revelation of who Jesus is. I see that you are a prophet. Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> right? He just read her mail, right? <laughs> right, her whole history, boom, right there. Told her everything she ever did, right? Boom, right there, who she was, he knew her. She sees, okay, he's not just a Jewish guy, weird guy on the well, maybe looking for a wife, who knows? Prophet, deeper revelation of Jesus. And then they get into this debate, which I won't go into, about where to worship on Mount Gerizim and Jerusalem. And she says, well, I know the Christ is coming. And he says, I'm the Christ. I am he. So she sees that he is the Messiah, Remember, they're Jewish, so they're waiting for the anointed one, the Messiah. And then when he says, I am he, he's saying, I am Yahweh. I am the divine one. He says it in the Greek. It's ego emi, which is the I am statement. I am. Yahweh means I am who I am. That's the name of God revealed to Moses. So when Jesus says, I am he, and he makes I am statements, he is saying that he is the divine one, that he is God. And so then she sees prophet Christ, now God. He sees, my God is here. The divine son of God is here. My God has come into this world. At that moment, the disciples return and she goes off. And my favorite, second, second favorite line in scripture, the woman left her water jar. Think about what that means. What does that symbolize? Everything. Think about what that symbolizes. I don't want to give you the answer right away. But everything I've talked about and all the symbolism of the going to the well and the water, she leaves the jar behind. What it means is when you encounter Jesus, you leave all that junk behind, all your sin, all your shame, your pain, your abuse, your hurt, your bottle, your drugs, your addiction, you leave it all behind. She didn't need that jar anymore. Why? Because she had received the water, the living water. She didn't need to go to that well anymore. And she wasn't ashamed anymore. That jar represented her shame. She had to go to that well alone. She was cast out. No one would be seen with her. 
She doesn't need the jar. She doesn't need to go to that well because she has Jesus. She has a revelation of God's love for her and he has set her free and she is healed. And you know what? She says to herself, I'm going to go into that town and I'm going to tell all those women about this Jesus. And I'm not going to put it in their face, but I love them. And I know that they're hurting, that they abuse me because they've been abused. They shamed me because they've been shamed. And this man set me free from my shame. And I'm going to tell them about the one who can set them free from their shame. Because it's been handed down. Abuse is inherited and handed down. Sin, hurt, sin, <clears throat> the, the bondage. It all comes down through family. Abuse, abusers abuse. People who have been abused, they abuse others. And she was hurt and cast out. And she goes right to the people that hurt her and tell them about Jesus. And you know what? They listen to her. This is the woman they won't even talk to. And she converts them. She doesn't have the water jar. She doesn't have her shame anymore. So she looks different. The retabla. Her eyes are different. Her eyes are lit up with the light of Christ. She's met her Jesus. And then she brings that living water. <coughs> she brings that, that same love that she's experienced to the town. And they believe her. And then they come and meet Jesus. And he stays there for two days. And they say at the end, we no longer believe because of your word. So they're talking to the woman that they've never talked to. There's reconciliation. There's healing and division. People that you've been estranged with from, when you're healed, when they're healed, Jesus reconciles family members. Jesus turns hate into love. Jesus breaks down walls of division. That's what he's all about. He does it every day. He does it all the time. He's doing it even now in your families even now in your life. Those areas of division, those walls that have been thrown up between husband and wife, Jesus breaks them down. He's the only one that can, and he shows that he can. This is a huge division. Samaritans, the woman, the, the, the town prostitute, she converts the town because of the love of Jesus. That's our God. That's the Jesus that wants to reveal himself to your heart tonight. They say, we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. They also have received healing from Jesus. <clears throat> that Their God has come to them and showed them mercy, gazed upon them with mercy, and healed their hearts and brought that town together. And she could go to the well with, that, with, with those people that cast her out before. And hopefully she worked out her marriage situation, right? Whatever she needed to do. But Jesus changes everything when he comes in. And he's the only one that can change everything. He's the only one that can heal the division. You know, if you keep coming back to the same thing, watching the same news show that just makes you angry and makes you angry, doesn't change anything. Jesus is the only one that can change it. You feel a little bit insecure. Jesus is the one, only one that can bring security. He can bring you safety. He can bring you peace. He can bring you everything that you desire. He's the only one. And so what we're called to do this Lent is to lay forth before Jesus our pain, our hurts, to trust him, to trust his touch. His touch is a loving touch. He will heal. 
we have to open up our hearts and we just open up some of the areas of hurt in our life, the shame in our life, your, your pain, your five husbands before Jesus, whatever that is, we all have that. We all have five husbands somewhere. We all have things that we married ourselves to that hurt us. We don't have to be ashamed of, just lay it out before Jesus, he just makes it go away. We leave our jar behind. Men were sent because no one meets Jesus without being sent. Sent to go preach the love of God to those who we meet. And they'll see, wow, you're different, you're changed. What happened to you? I met Jesus, let me tell you about my Jesus. He loves me and he loves you. Let me tell you what he did for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www dot become fire dot faith that's dot f-a-i-t-h the franciscan friars of the holy spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization if you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission please go to www.becomefire.faith slash give that's become fire dot faith slash give may the lord give you his peace we'll see you next time